Hi, my name is John Kim. I'm a therapist who went through his own rebirth many years ago, and I've been documenting my journey ever since, sharing my life lessons and revelations. I believe in casual over clinical, with you instead of at you. I come unrehearsed on purpose because self-help doesn't have to be so complicated. Okay, if this episode was a book, this would be a little box in the corner, Foods to Snooze By. And this is from Psychology Today. These are some foods to think about um, when it comes to sleep, what's going to help sleep and not help sleep. Sleep has been a huge, uh, man, issue, I guess you would say. I don't know if the word's issue. It's been a part of my story um, because I had insomnia for two years. And I mean, it was, um, I went into a very dark place. And so I'm always interested, I still struggle with sleep. So I'm always interested in things, um, tips when it comes to sleep. So here are some foods that booster melatonin. Tomatoes, walnuts, grapes, tart cherries. Why, why tart cherries? Why not just regular cherries? What's a tart cherry? Goji berries. By the way, goji berries go really well with uh, asahi. And fatty fish. Here are some foods that produce uh, serotonin or boost serotonin. Kiwi fruit. I don't know about you, but... I actually, I know this can sound weird. I actually eat the kiwi fruit completely with the uh, the skin. Like I eat it like an apple. And I know it's like, what? Because it's all fuzzy and shit. But um, the nutrients are in the skin. And I actually, I actually enjoy it. Okay. Milk, turkey, chicken, and canned tuna. And these are foods to avoid if you want to sleep. So do not eat these foods at night. Obviously, caffeinated beverages, uh, chocolate, candy. This is interesting. Salami. No salami at night. Get your mind out of the gutter. All right. Um, No aged cheese and no citrus fruit. Those are uh, anti-sleep foods. Okay, moving on to the topic of this episode. And speaking of psychology today, this is where... I got the idea for this episode because I used to um, – I'm a contributor for Psychology Today. And uh, one, one of my highlights, real quick, if you don't mind me saying so, uh, was uh, I have had a few articles in the actual magazine. So um, I'm a contributor as far as online. I could I could publish articles, but to actually have your article picked and published uh, in the magazine for me it was huge because uh, I used to read psychology today when I was um, trained to become a therapist. I would just – I would read it cover to cover, every word of that magazine. And that magazine is thin. It's only like you know seven and a half pages. But I remember um, I would get it every month and I would just geek out like I would – my head would be in the magazine like a 12-year-old uh, getting uh, his hands on a Playboy magazine. All right, enough. When therapy stalls, and this article is by Elizabeth Hen- Henny, um, but I want to kind of like use it as an outline uh, because I think it's a great topic. Because therapy isn't always um, filled with 
insight and revelations. And I think um, for many of us, especially if you've been doing therapy for a long time, it can kind of become stagnant, right? Therapy can stall. And so here are some things to look at. Um, What I love about this article is it actually calls out the therapist, you know, in this article, it's not just about the client, but what the therapist can do to um, kickstart sessions again. So here are some ways that therapy can stall. I got to put my readers on one second. Oh, I can't believe how fucking old I am. I have to wear readers now. Jesus. Sorry. Number one, the client covers the same material in every session without developing new insight or, or depth. So if you find yourself just talking about the same things, you know, and, um, Of course, you can talk about whatever you want as much as you want, but you have to start having some insights, some revelations. There has to be something deeper than what's said uh, for the therapy to be um, effective, or else you're just a broken record. You know, I mean, therapy is all about going going deeper. So if you find yourself just kind of going through the motions and just talking about the same thing, the same complaints, the same, you know things that you struggle with without going deeper, um, that can be a sign that uh, therapy is, is kind of stalling for you. Number two, the client reports on the past week offering stories or details without relevance uh, to a deeper process. So it's, you know, it's recapping, it's uh, a lot of storytelling, um, Again, it's not going deeper. It says here, there's nothing inherently wrong with reporting these, but when, like Spencer, a client focuses solely on details and antidotes, there's likely to be little legitimate progress. I think this can also be a way to um, fill up the space. You know, sometimes we go to therapy begrudgingly, Sometimes um, I know I've I've entered sessions thinking to myself, oh, I actually have nothing to talk about. You know, there's nothing going on and have a session coming up. What am I going to talk about? And and a lot of times in those sessions, I just talk to fill up space, you know. And so here, this is what happened. A lot of details, a lot of um, storytelling, you know. And it's your session. You could do whatever you want. But if that's kind of all you do, then, yeah, you can be – wasting your money you could be you could be stalling you know there is the argument that um that's what's needed and for some people uh there's something on the other side of that and so they have to kind of um allow themselves to just just talk and 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 say what they need to say and let it out there is that argument as well like eventually uh that that that, uh river is going to run dry and then you are going to get something deeper um, so the idea of playing it out, you know, so the therapist being very patient. Um, but as a client, you, you have to be honest with yourself. Is this something that you really have to get out to go deeper? Or are you just, um, like I said earlier, playing a bro- broken record? Are you stalling? Are you uh, distracting yourself? Or do you feel like you have, you have nothing else to talk about, you know? Because there's always things to talk about, even if they're not issues, because talking about those things lead to um, insight and revelations and deeper things. 
Hey, wanted to share with you something I'm super excited about. If you go to theangrytherapist.com forward slash premium, you not only get commercial-free episodes, but also something I'm introducing called series, rotating wellness topics, but not only lessons, but what do we do with this information? How do we thread this into our life so we could change our life? Go to theangrytherapist.com forward slash premium. Number three, the client ignores their own contribution to an issue, focusing on the other person and seeing them as the problem. This one's huge. I mean, basically, what we're talking about is defensiveness. If you're in therapy and you spend your sessions complaining and blaming people, whether it's you know uh, in your relationships or the guy that cut you off, or um, you're this is stalling. Because you're defending, you're holding a shield, you're not following the thread down to where it came from, what came up for you, how you feel about it. You know, there's, um, there has to be an exploration of an inner journey. It can't just be you complaining. Now, that being said, there may be sessions needed, especially if you're not a complainer, to complain, right? They're, like that actually may be what's prescribed for you if you're, you're someone who never complains, then yes, that can be very therapeutic to get into a room and feel safe where you're like, you know what, today I'm just going to fucking complain about everyone and because I don't and I need to let this out. Um, I think that can be a good thing, right? Um, but this is like if you're concept constantly ignoring your own <laughs> contribution to any problem and your pattern is just complaint, um, there isn't going to be much growth. Growth happens when you are investigating self uh, and defensiveness is probably the biggest wall to you doing that. Number four, the client claims to want things to be different and continues to make the same choices. Um, this is when a therapist or coach gets very frustrated is like when a client is like, you know what, I, I, I want a healthy relationship and, um, you know, I want, I want a new love experience and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then the behavior doesn't match that. Then they, you know, date someone against something toxic. And of course, you as the therapist remind your client of this and they're like, yeah, I know I really want this, but then they don't do what they want. Now, of course, there is a transition where there's going to be some time that you want one thing, but you're doing something else because, yeah, you're used to the pattern of the other thing, you know? Um, I mean, like, for example, um, of course I want to eat healthy, but does my behavior match that? <laughs> Not every day. Um, I mean, there's... Every day I eat something bad, and I know that I don't have to. I know that I don't want to, um, but also I don't label it as a problem because it's not so bad where um, it's uncontrollable or, or you know I'm not um, there's there's like a lot of shame behind it. But yeah, every day I'll have you know whether it's a croissant or a burger or whatever it is, I'll have something that I have labeled quote unquote as as bad. Um, and, but I'm okay with that, right? And so 
there is a transition where um, your behavior isn't going to match your goals. Now, where you get stuck in or where the therapy stalls is, again, if that becomes a pattern. If you have a pattern of behavior that just doesn't line up with your goals. And if that's the case, therapy, of course, is about exploring why therapy is about um, what's happening, why, why uh, on a deeper level, why are you struggling with matching your um, behavior with your goals? I mean, we all know what we need to do, right? We all, we all know. And if you don't, listen, there's the internet, there's uh, chat, GPT, there's YouTube. Uh, the information is free these days, so there's no excuse. Um, everyone has a plan. We all know what to do. Uh, we don't know why we can't do it. A lot of it is subconscious. A lot of it is uh, belief system related. A lot of it, a lot of it is because we believe we don't deserve something. You know, a lot of it has to do with um, old patterns. Uh, I mean, you know, stemming from childhood on. A lot of it has to do with fear. A lot of it has to do with. Uh, sabotage because we don't believe that we deserve something, you know. So all these things that are under underneath, they're usually the things that are blocking. Those are the barriers. Uh, it's never because we don't know how, right? That's just an excuse. We all know how, and it doesn't matter if we're talking about getting into a healthy relationship or uh, losing weight or uh, building a company. Like we all know what needs to happen, but a lot of times our behavior doesn't match up. So the investigation of that behavior and where it comes from can be very therapeutic. But um, if you don't investigate and you just do a lot of, here's what I want. Um, and then when, <laughs> when you leave the therapy room, you do something different. If that is the pattern, then yes, therapy is stalling. All right, here's some kind of um, pulling the curtain back things to um, think about if you're a therapist, or even if you're not, I think this is interesting, um, kickstarting progress. So the primary antidote to therapeutic stalls is to focus on deepening the process. And deepening can happen in many ways, but when therapy loses momentum, I immediately focus on where I might have, and I being the therapist, um, where I might have let the process and the client and myself become less engaged. Therapists can respond to therapeutic stalls in several ways. Again, this is an article written by Elizabeth Henney in Psychology Today. Number one, bring a direct challenge or confrontation. The word confrontation sounds a little a little dramatic to the conversation rather than simply supporting the client's own process. You know, as therapists, uh, we learn in therapy school that we have to be neutral and meet the client where she's at and we're, you know, supporting the client's truth, right? And of course, that's happening and that's how we build trust and create this uh, space to be safe. But um, I think therapy also requires confrontation, requires an intervention, requires a direct challenge. Um, 
I tend to sway when I'm working with sessions, I tend to sway uh, more directive than passive. I tend to be, um, I don't know if the word's aggressive. Aggressive might be a little too aggressive. <laughs> but yeah, directive. I state opinions. Um, I'm very honest, you know. Um, I'm not a dick. I'm respectful to my clients, but uh, I, I'm the no BS kind of guy, right? And that just is how I run my practice. That's that's now I'm not for everyone. Um, if you're looking for someone who is very soft and holding space and very neutral and and not that because uh, there's a, a place and time for that, then I'm not that person. I'm usually the person that people come to after they've had the uh, very nurtured, soft, neutral space for a while, and then now they want some direction. Then I get the call. But anyway, uh, direction and direct challenges and some kind of intervention is definitely one way to kickstart the um, the therapy experience if it feels stalled. Number two, speak about the truth that's not being spoken. And uh, now I'm talking. We're talking to the therapist. Um, well, I guess you know. I guess this could be both people. But um, what's not being spoken in the room? Let's talk about that. That's actually a great way to get deeper. Uh, even even you know, out of the therapy room in relationships, we go around on egg, walking on eggshells. Uh, okay, let's cut the bullshit. What do we need to talk about that's not being talked about? Because people are uneasy or have resentment or you know whatever the case is, right? While it's easier and more comfortable to keep talking about uh, your week. I might put a pin in antidotes and gently redirect a client to her initial concerns. Um, for example, I'm really lonely for a relationship and I'm afraid I don't know how to do it. Okay, let's start there. Number three, broadening the context of the issue at hand. So Sarah has an opportunity to recognize how her need to control and critique shows up in order in other areas of her life and to understand the hidden value it might hold for her. As an outside observer, I can direct her attention to the larger pattern and I can direct her attention to the larger patterns underlining her frequent frustrations with her husband. Um, when, when, I, when I hear the word broadening, I... It reminds me of um, the term pulling back. And I think uh, this, again, can kind of kickstart a session is being able to pull back. And, and you know, you could also pull back further, like pulling back to one story and where they're at in their lives and what it means and how that fits into their story. You know, um, I do a lot of narrative work because I'm a huge believer in stories, the power of our stories. I'm a believer in not ripping out chapters. Um, I think accepting, embracing, and ultimately sharing our story is what makes our stories uh, so valuable, you know? And I also believe that every part of your story will be used. And that's another way into um, talking about parts of our stories where we want to uh, help clients connect dots. So broadening, broaden, broadening the context of the issue at hand uh, is one way 
to kickstart uh, therapy sessions. If you feel like your therapy is stalled. And then finally, number four, help the client directly face the two-choice dilemma they're in. If applicable. If applicable. Uh, Some clients who face what is ultimately a binary choice stall in hopes that they can somehow find a third way out. So it's almost like, I wouldn't say forcing, but it's almost like, hey, listen, here are the two choices. you got to pick something. A lot of clients stall. A lot of clients want a different choice that you know isn't available, and so helping someone move the needle forward just by getting them to make a choice. I think a lot of times in therapy, because it is about processing, uh, we get stuck in actual processing and we don't make decisions. And if you don't make decisions, uh, the the needle doesn't move forward, right? And so. Um, one may also argue that this falls more under coaching than therapy, but I mean, I wear both hats. Um, but I, I don't, I don't know. I think, um, a therapist and I've always been directive in this way can help her clients, um, make choices. I don't think therapists are supposed to make those choices for you, but I think a therapist through questioning and processing can get you to see, Look, there are two choices you got to pick. <laughs> there are two doors you got to walk through one of them, or you're just going to sit here looking at the two doors for the rest of your life, you know? Anyway, it's another way to unstall therapy. Anyway, thank you for listening. And uh, another reminder that uh, if you enjoy my podcast, I have a podcast premium, it's uh, four bucks a month. And my podcasts are short, so what's really cool about that is you don't have ads running, so they're ad-free, and then you get four bonus episodes from me. And also, you can email me directly at theangrytherapist.com. Nope, theangrytherapist at gmail, sorry. Uh, theangrytherapist.com is my website. And um, I will pick, or I will do my best, because your, your question will be at the top, um, if you're a premium member, and I will answer your question and feed it into the premium channel so you could um, listen to it. Thank you for listening. Be well.